Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Can we hit the pause button for a moment? How are we in the last week of June already? Every year, I swear, summer is trying to set a new record for the world's fastest season. But let's not let it win the race this year. It's time to slow down and savor every golden moment. So let's make a pact, ladies, you and I. This year, we're going to soak up the sun, immerse ourselves in the great outdoors, and breathe in the joy of summer every opportunity we get. So wherever you are listening today, I hope the sun is kissing your face and a cool breeze is playing in your hair. Now pop on your sun hat and sunglasses and let's get this summer party started. Here's what's coming up on today's show. My first guest Catherine North joins me to discuss her enthralling memoir, Holy Heathen, which takes us on a personal journey from the confines of an evangelical upbringing to the liberating expanses of heathen mysticism. Catherine shares a bit of her story and encourages us all to embrace the chaos and find the beauty in life's messiness. Dr. Christine Palme from Care to Know is back just in time as things start to heat up across the country. Dr. Palme shares why proper sun care is vitally important and what ingredients to look for in the products you buy. Anne Brody is back with new entertainment and may have finally convinced me to watch a foreign film with the release of Subtraction, a psychological thriller out of Tehran that explores the ideas of multiplicity, climate change, and coping with a life-changing event that can't be explained. Plus, the fabulous Kim Cattrall is back in a new series on Netflix called Glamorous. How much do you know about the Inuvialuit people? Until this interview, I knew nothing, which is why I'm so thankful Talaramik joins me this week. A beacon of cultural preservation and an ambassador for the Inuvialuit people of Canada's Western Arctic, Talaramik educates and inspires through fine art, fashion, and short format videos where she weaves ancestral knowledge blood memory, and passion into a vibrant tapestry that encourages pride in Indigenous identity. If you've ever felt that in order to fit in or to be accepted, you needed to curate your actions, words, or even your personality, then you'll definitely want to stick around for my interview with Ritu Passin, author of the new book, We've Got This, Unlocking the Beauty of Belonging. Finally, I'm joined by Vivian Boyko, also known as Just a Gram, who started her journey on TikTok at the age of 69 with the simple goal of promoting her book. Little did she know, she would soon become a sensation with over 411,000 followers. From life stories, humor, wigs, and even apple pies, she does it all and has been inspiring many with her positivity and zeal for life. I can't wait for you to meet her. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region.
My first guest today is known as the founder of the Queen Sweep, a program that helps women clear their clutter and find their power, and is passionate about empowering women to reclaim their lives. A key advocate for embracing life's messiness and finding beauty in it, Catherine North also has a powerful story to share. Not only has she and her husband created an award-winning documentary about their blended LGBTQ family, but she has also penned a deeply personal memoir, Holy Heathen, in which she charts her journey from evangelical upbringing to heathen mystic. It's a story you definitely want to stick around to hear. Welcome to What She Said, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. So your story is filled with profound personal evolution. So mm. can you tell us about your journey from growing up in evangelical mission to becoming a heathen <laughs> mystic as chronicled in your book? And obviously, we don't have enough time to get into all of it. So mm -hmm. as much as you can. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Japan. My parents are wonderful, beautiful, loving, very devout people of faith. And they took our family to Japan when I was five years old to spread the word and the love of God. Now, I had a problem because everyone around me loved Jesus, and I did not love Jesus. I didn't even know what that meant. And that was really scary for me as a kid because I was very steeped in this evangelical world, and yet I could feel from very early on that I was different. And it became a really big secret that I kept. And, and from there, you know, it took me, the book chronicles, my many messy missteps, but it was all in an attempt to come to an understanding of something that felt true to me, um, which I now call being a heathen mystic. So you have a unique perspective on reclaiming power, especially for women. So can you elaborate on how you help women to assert dominion over their lives and why you believe this is so crucial? Absolutely. So somehow by accident along the way, um, in my illustrious career of cleaning houses, doing theater, working at bookstores, you know, it was a real, real, real straight path. Um, I ended up as a coach. So I like to say that the Latin for what I do is life coaching. Technically, I'm an executive coach. I work with really successful, really ambitious, really incredible women all around the world. And most of them, they're kind of deep, dark secret is that they're incredibly sensitive. And it's us, it's often this very empathy and sensitivity that lets them be so good at what they do. These women can read a room, they understand subtext, they know what's happening with people. But it comes at a huge cost because no one has ever taught them how to They've learned to receive, to like assess a situation, to understand what's happening, but no one teaches women or anyone who you know, as identified as a girl or woman growing up, no one teaches us how to show up with any of our own power. So we can become very good at reading what's happening around us. It's much more difficult for us to find what's happening inside us and then bring that to the table. You mentioned that, you know, life is messy, but we can make it gorgeous anyway. So can you share <laughs> how this... try. <laughs> so can you share how this philosophy plays out in your life and work and how it influenced your journey? I made so many messes along the way. I hurt my dear, sweet, wonderful parents. Um, I got married and divorced very young, very messily. Um, I embarked on a season of wild partying in my life, which was actually really deeply healing to me, but definitely messy in all the ways that you might expect. Um, I became a single mom. I was a solo parent for several years. Then I met my wonderful love of my life husband, moved to Canada. We blended our families together. We have five kids and a dog and a bunch of chickens. And I have to tell you, life is 
so much messier than I ever could have dreamed it could be. It is honestly chaos here sometimes. And yet it's also so beautiful. And so much of whether I choose to see the mess or see the beauty lies in the way I look at it and also in the way I show up. So it's often a choice then how we view what our life is currently doing at the moment, right? You can It could be a mess or it could be beautiful. I think that that's a huge part of it. And that's not to say that life doesn't have tragedy, right? Like one thing I've learned talking with so many people who are so genuinely successful is that everybody has something. Everyone has a grief or a heartbreak or a tragedy or an injustice. And some people have a lot of injustice. And so I don't mean to gloss over that. I'm not saying that, you know, it's just a matter of perspective. And yet, some of the people who have been dealt some of the crummiest hands in life have chosen to take that raw material and work alchemy with it and make their lives into something beautiful. And that's what I want to do. And it's what I want to teach my kids to do. And it's what I get to help my clients do, which is such a profound honor. The themes of Holy Heathen resonate deeply with many people, particularly those grappling with their religious identity. So how do you hope your book will impact those individuals? Well, I wrote the book that I was desperately hoping already existed out there. When I was trying to leave the church, um, you know, this was 20 plus years ago, and I looked and I looked for a story of someone who grappled with her faith and, and wasn't an atheist. It wasn't like a logical thing. And yet I also just knew that I couldn't stay in the church and stay alive. And so I wrote the book that I was yearning for that I couldn't find. And I hope that it helps, first of all, people who are in a faith, a religion that doesn't fit, that doesn't feel right. I hope it gives them permission to explore, and I hope it gives them some hope that what lies beyond that, while terrifying, can also be beautiful. But I also think that it is a story of growing up feeling like the ugly duckling, feeling like the odd one out, just feeling like you don't fit in your family or your community, and finding a way to maybe make some messes, but also keep walking on a path that feels true and feels authentic and hopefully leads you somewhere beautiful. Have you reconciled with your parents? I'm assuming that you have. Yes, yes, absolutely. A lot of therapy, some very squirmy conversations. They're wonderful, beautiful people, and they accept me. They also accept my husband, who is transgender. They love and adore one of their grandbabies, who is non-binary. They are people of such love and such big, beautiful, open hearts. This is a good message for people to hear because it's very important for people to understand that there is reconciliation often that happens in these from these really uncomfortable moments within our family. And uh, this gives people a hope, I think, to maybe take that leap if they're if that if they're ready for it. It doesn't always happen, but it is always possible and you will never know until you try and at least give them a chance to meet you where you are. And it might take some time. Let's talk about the Queen's Sweep for a minute. Yeah. Because I think I think this is fun too. So you talk about how you guide women to clear their clutter and find their power. Uh, mm -hmm. So how has this impacted your understanding of having personal power? So I have what I call a sparkle brain. And without going into any diagnoses, I think that there are a lot of us who are discovering that our our minds, literally our brains, don't work the way that we thought they were going to. Um, my mind is like a disco ball. It's very good at like thinking up ideas. It's very terrible at remembering what I should be doing at any given moment, plus all the myriad details of my kids' lives. So 
I found that this is true for some of the most interesting, brilliant women I know. What derails them is not any of the big stuff. It's like the little minutia of life. It's, I forgot the dentist's appointment. I missed this bill. I forgot the whatever. I can't find this important document. And so it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you start to clear up your clutter and you set up systems to organize things like your paper, your time, your calendar, your to-do list, your groceries, you put all your bills on auto pay, you clear out your closet, life becomes, your home becomes more of a sanctuary. It actually frees up an enormous amount of energy and you have so much more bandwidth to do the things that really matter. It's like mental feng shui, isn't it? When you, you know, exactly. if, you, if your space Absolutely. around you is clearer, your mind is clearer. Yeah. 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 And with my sparkle brain, I need a list. I need something that tells me what to do at every moment of every day. And here's here's today. This is the compass. This is one of the tools I teach in the Queen Sweep. I literally could not function without my my own system. I'm just going to let people know listening to this on radio and podcast that you just held up like a massive Oh, sorry. List. Yes, I forgot. Uh, it's okay. So, I, uh, so you just held up like a massive list of things that you keep mm -hmm. track of mm -hmm. daily, yes. I suspect. Yes. It's a combination of vision board, to-do list and schedule. All right. Incredible. Uh, Catherine, I, I think you're amazing. And I love that you share this story with people because, you know, these are scary leaps for people to take, whether it's taking control of your life mm. or, you know, stepping away from something that makes you uncomfortable and that it is not a fit. So I want people to be able to connect with you, find out more about the Queen Sweep, about Holy Heathen. So what's the best way to do that? If you're interested in the Queen Sweep, you can literally just type in queen like crown, sweep like broom. Dot com, and that will take you to that page. Um, if you're looking for me or my memoir, you can go to my main website, which is katherinenorth.com. You could also Google Holy Heathen, and that will take you to me. All right, wonderful. We're going to put all of those links in uh, the podcast liner notes when this goes out on podcast. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. <laughs> More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. has officially arrived and Canadians typically don't let a minute of solid warm weather pass them by from Victoria Day to Labor Day without enjoying the great outdoors to its fullest. The health benefits of being outdoors both mentally and physically is huge, but there is a caveat. We must protect our skin at all costs against the harmful effects of UVA and UVB rays. Thankfully, caretoknow.ca is happy to help guide us so that we can enjoy the best of summer without harm to our skin. Dr. Christine Palme joins me now to discuss. Welcome back to the show, Christine. Thank you for having me again, Candice. So this is a huge topic. So what are the different types of sunscreens available and how do they work to protect our skin from harmful UVA and UVB rays? That's a great question, Candice. And the first point is that not all sunscreens are created equally. So let's slip back a bit. SPF or sun protection factor is very important. The higher the SPF, the better protection we have uh, for blocking out both UVA and UVB rays. And this is absolutely important for skin protection against aging, etc. 
but most notably against cancers. Skin cancers are real, they can be tragic, and they can be fatal. Uh, there are two types of sunscreens, physical sunscreens, also known as mineral sunscreens, that block out UV light. So they actually reflect it by and prevent uh, the rays from penetrating the, from the skin. Common uh, constituents are zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, and these are almost like reflective tools. The second type of sunscreen are chemical sunscreens. These allow the penetration of UV light, but convert the energy into heat. So we don't actually absorb the UV rays into our skin. You need to do your research though, because some of these uh, ingredients are not necessarily healthy. Several have been banned by Health Canada and the FDA in the United States. So point being is that you need to educate yourself. What you put on your skin gets absorbed and needs to be respected accordingly. Well, when I go into the drugstore, there is a wall of sunscreen. And how do I know what to pick? What should I be looking for specifically? Okay, so the first type of sunscreen that is the most effective is the one that you're going to use. So if you buy a wonderful expensive sunscreen, but you don't like it because you don't like the formulation, it's not going to be helpful. So pick something that is practical for your uh, lifestyle. Um, you need to wear sunscreen every day. So this is a huge point. Every day, regardless of the weather outside, regardless of whether you're on holidays, and you need to actually reapply it. So you need something that's easily accessible, that's easy to apply. In general, I personally wear a sunscreen of 50. I recommend that my patients wear sunscreen with an SPF over 40. But if you're not reapplying, you know, you're not necessarily getting the full protection. Uh, and the other thing is that um, you need to make sure that the ingredients of the sunscreens have been approved. So certainly in some of the big chains, such as Shoppers, Rexall, etc., you know, you can rest assured that what lies on shelves uh, is generally safe. But with the worldwide internet available and people ordering things from hither and yon, be careful about ingredients, read labels. So is sunscreen enough to protect us or are there other measures we should be taking? Absolutely. Sunscreen is part of the parcel of ways to protect your skin, but other common sense measures are equally as important. When it's sunny outside, wear a wide brimmed hat that covers both your neck and ears. Wear sunglasses that protect the delicate area around your eyes. That skin is very thin and fragile. Be careful when you expose yourself uh, to the sunlight outside. So typically, you know, we say limit exposure to the sun between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., uh, staying in the shade otherwise. Avoid tanning beds. Not a good idea. Have never been a good idea. Will never be a good idea. And, you know, in general, take care of your skin. Um, use high quality sunscreens, apply appropriately, exfoliate your skin, uh, and make sure that uh, you know, you're respecting one of the most vital organs in our body. What would you say to people who think that having a little bit of tan protects them? That's absolutely not true. I mean, obviously, we all have a bit of a tan progressively, regardless of what we do. But you know, having those baking a thons or tanning uh, beds uh, sessions prior to going on vacation absolutely makes no sense. That's a huge myth. Oh, good grief. I'm telling you, I remember as a teenager, now this is many, many years ago, 
<laughs> so don't judge me. I remember we applied Crisco to get the best tan. Oh my goodness. I'm just cringing. Picking and up. use tin foil to reflect the sun right onto your face. I, I'm, I'm oh. going to go out on a limb and say that's likely not a good idea, Candice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I do know that now. <laughs> So how can Care to Know then help us stay informed about our skin health, skincare topics, and what kind of resources are available on the website? As I always say, being informed is being empowered. I encourage our listeners to go to caretoknow.ca, subscribe, it is free, and it is hassle-free. Emails will be instantaneously and regularly delivered to your inbox. Uh, the Instagram handle is care to know underscore, a platform of a huge variety of healthcare topics, not only skin, we have topics on obesity, diabetes, hormone replacement therapy. This is a site where you can browse safely. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. And we will see you next month where we're going to discuss diabetes. See you soon. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Ann Brody. And I got to tell you, I typically don't feel a draw to foreign films, but your first one today, Subtraction, this I have to see. This oh, looks really, really good. It's such an original, unique idea, and it's terrifying. So it takes place in Tehran during an endless rainstorm. So it, you know, it also makes room for discussion on climate change. It rains throughout the entire film. Uh, so a woman is going through the city and she sees her husband, which is very strange. He gets on a bus. She follows him. He's supposed to be out of town. Um, he gets out of the bus and goes and meets a woman. She can't see the woman. Um, and then so circumstances come up over the next couple of days. She's very upset. She confronts her husband. He, she insists that she, she saw him. He says he was definitely out of town. So turns out he has a doppelganger. And above and beyond that, his wife is her doppelganger. So you can imagine the kind of things that would come up in that sort of circumstance. And basically it comes down to a, a struggle for survival because you can't have doppelgangers. That's the idea. It's like primitive am animals. So it plays out in the most extraordinary way. Honestly, I, I don't think I've ever seen a film that really just got me so much recently. So, uh, and you know, the, and there, there's a part, that, and I'm not sure of it, but I think the one woman wills the other woman to get sick. It's just, there's so there's magic in it a, a little bit, but it, you know, it, it is grounded in reality, which is why it's so incredibly upsetting and moving. Uh, so definitely get this one. And where, where is that on right now? It's in? in select theaters in Canada and here in Toronto at Tiff Bell Lightbox. All right. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about Blue Jean. This looked really heartbreaking. It is. 
It is. Um, and it's set back in the 80s in England. And Margaret Thatcher was in power then. And she had just passed some anti-LGBTQ, uh, anti-freedom. Uh, and there was great uh, prejudice that arose. And a gym teacher in Manchester fears for her job. And, you know, not unusually, it, it had that much impact. You weren't allowed to normalize homosexuality. And especially being a teacher, that would have really given her a lot of trouble. So she remains closeted. And her girlfriend, who's a, an activist, pushes her to be more honest. Well, she can't be because she'll give everything up. She loves her job. And then one night at the gay bar, she sees one of her students. So now she's worried that she's going to be outed. Um, and it, 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 a lot of sturm and drang in it, but it just shows you the way things used to be uh, in England, for sure. And the way things are going in the States now, <laughs> of all things. Um, so it, it's a it's a heavy weight, but the lead actor, Rose McEwen, is just spectacular. She just carries this so well. And yes, it's a bit of a downer, but it's also uh, shines a light onto this very, very currently alive issue. Perfect for Pride Month. And where is that airing, Anne? That's at Lightbox with uh, more theaters to be announced. All right. Uh, there is one, uh, speaking of Pride Month, uh, there is a new show on Netflix that made me smile. I was grinning from yeah. ear to ear saying, seeing Kim Cattrall back on the screen. And of course, the lead actor in that uh, looks amazing as well. So tell me about that. She, uh, Kim Cattrall, who actually appears in the final sequence of the last episode of And Just Like That this season. She didn't have any, any interaction with the other people, just setting that in. And also she stars in the new Robert De Niro film about my father. But here she plays a makeup mogul and she has this gut instinct about this young trans boy's um, beauty instincts and his personality. Her company's facing hard times because it's run by her son and everything he says goes and it's not a particularly good idea. So she has a sense about this kid played by Marco Maya. He's spectacular. I think he might be maybe 20. So he comes up with all these great ideas and he has a few setbacks. Number one, the son's jealous. Number two, he leaves an important program in a, an Uber but his personality and his verve and originality are about to put her makeup company back on the map big time. And she's great. She's how you expect Kim Cattrall to be. Very elegant, very, you know, stiff-shouldered, stiff straight-backed, uh, honest, forthright, and uh, very dignified, <laughs> which is what I always like about her. She's such a Canadian Brit. As, as she is in real life. So now uh, Marco, who plays Miss Benny, um, it's tremendously affirming for trans and non-binary people. So yes, as you mentioned, it's also in support of uh, Pride Month. So that's another great one to see on Netflix. All right, incredible. That one is actually at the top of my list, just a little bit above subtraction, but great, great shows you've brought this week. And of course, you have more over on what she said, talk.com. And we'll have you back next week. Okay, but I'm going to get you more interested in foreign films. All right. <laughs> that's your goal? I promise. That's my goal. All right. Amazing. Thanks, Anne. 
Alrighty. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. When you picture the Arctic, what comes to your mind? Often, the digital spaces we rely on to help paint a picture for us are far from reality, missing the depth and richness of the people who inhabit it. But today, we are about to explore an authentic and beautiful aspect of the Arctic, specifically the Inuvialuit culture. My next guest is a beacon of cultural preservation and an ambassador for the Inuvialuit people of Canada's Western Arctic. Through fine art, fashion, and short-format videos, she weaves ancestral knowledge, blood memory, and passion into a vibrant tapestry that educates, inspires, and encourages pride in Indigenous identity. Her commitment to ensuring accurate representation and sharing the Inuvialuit way of life with the world is not only heartwarming, but crucial in an age where cultural erosion is a real concern. Christina King, also known as Talaramik, joins me to share more. Welcome to What She Said, Talaramik. Hi, thanks for having me. Could you start by telling us a little about the Inuvialuit people and what makes your culture unique and vibrant? The Inuvialuit are the Inuit of the Canadian Western Arctic in the Northwest Territories. So we were one of the first Indigenous groups to sign a land claim agreement with the Government of Canada. And in comparison to other Inuit groups across Canada, we were rapidly colonized. So we saw a great and rapid change of our culture, uh, a loss of culture and identity in many aspects. And um, I guess I want people to know that we still exist and we're a modern, thriving people who are actively working to reclaim our identity and our culture and pride in being Inuvialuit. It's pretty evident that the effects of colonization have had a profound impact on Indigenous communities. Can you share with us how the Inuvialuit community is healing and reclaiming its culture and identity? Yes, so I'm from a generation where I, I feel like I bridge, you know, sort of the old way of life and, of course, you know, the modern way of life with technology and everything. So I think that gives me sort of a unique perspective. Um, you know, my mother was born in a tent on the tundra, so I'm not that far removed from that way of life. Um My grandparents were survivors of the great flu epidemics that wiped out most of our population. And estimates say we were down to about 150 Inuvialuit, and all the Inuvialuit living today descend from that small group of people. And I just feel like uh, the world, you know, knows about Inuit. Uh, in Canada, people think of Inuit, and they think of mainly Nunavut. But I also want to highlight, you know, there's Inuit across Canada, and we are in the Western Arctic, so we're neighbors. We're neighbors and family with the Inuit of Nunavut. So we're in the Northwest Territories, and our traditional area is called the Inuvialuit Settlement Region. 
Now, you're on TikTok and you share information all over the place. Let's talk about positive representation uh, in those digital spaces. Why is it important and and what impact is this having on your your children and youth when they see themselves in, in these spaces in a positive light? Yeah, so on TikTok, I share Inubialwit content. Um, I never imagined that I would be a content creator or influencer. You know, that was all new to me. But of course, during the pandemic, I downloaded the app and I started enjoying all this great Indigenous content and, you know, learning about other Indigenous people across Turtle Island, across the world. And I just really wasn't seeing anything that represented my culture. So I thought, oh, I could maybe make a video and share some of the material culture that I have. Like, so my gaugaks, my atik looks, so our garments and shoes. And it kind of just started from there. And I got a really positive response. And so that encouraged me to continue to make videos. And I suppose I'm a natural storyteller. You know, that's part of our culture. And I think that's what really resonates with people is just the storytelling aspect. And it's important for our children and youth to see these representations, to have Inuvialuit visibility, to see someone who looks like them, who grew up like them, that they know from the same community. And it just gives them the confidence that, you know, they can do all these things in this great big modern world as well. Your work in art, fashion, and video production serves as a creative outlet for expressing and sharing your culture. Could you give us an insight into how you blend traditional elements with modern expression in your creations? Yes, so actually I work uh, part-time as an artist and fashion designer, and then uh, for the rest of the time I'm actually a stay-at-home mom to my five children, so it's a it's a balance. and. Uh, through my art and fashion design, I, I don't think you can really separate the two, but I'm inspired and influenced by my culture, by the way that my grandmothers created clothing and these beautiful garments for survival, but it was also creative expression. And I always say that I'm fortunate that I can do this for more of a creative expression um, and just using the same materials that they use, incorporating uh, contemporary things that I like to just really create striking pieces. And my goal is always to educate in some way or share a story of our history or our culture, our identity. I've had uh, proudly Indigenous uh, creations on my show before, and we talked about their use of seal fur. Can you talk about that aspect of your work and explain the importance of using fur in the Inuit culture and how this is relevant, not just to Inuit, but to Canadian society really as a whole? Yes. So I'm an advocate for using fur. Um, I use fur in my art and fashion, and I'm part of the Proudly Indigenous Crafts and Designs platform, and that's where I sell my sealskin creations. And it's important because, you know, Canada, as we know it today, was built on the fur trade, um, using Indigenous knowledge, uh, resources to really build up this country and kind of enjoy the life as we know it today. And up in the Western Arctic, my grandparents were instrumental in building up our community and helping the economy because they, they made their living on the trap line. So my grandfather started out on foot, 
and then eventually dog team. And as he progressed, you know, it um, evolved into a transportation company. And my grandmother was by his side doing all the skinning and preparing of furs, which they then sold, you know, in the fur trade. They helped uh, RCMP, missionaries, Hudson's Bay employees, they helped them to survive and to thrive in the Arctic. And then just using fur in my art and fashion just kind of continues that tradition, the importance um, that it is to our culture. And, you know, we relied on things like seal. You know, my mom grew up on seal meat. Oftentimes there's nothing else to eat. And it's still very important to many Inuit communities to this day. You know, it's a vital part of our culture and our survival still depends on these practices like they like it has been for thousands of years. When you speak about that aspect on on social media, do you get pushback and how do you deal with that? Yes, so I do get some negative feedback. Um, if people have never been exposed to this before, they react in various ways, like with shock, disgust, or even hate. And sometimes I feel tempted to, you know, want to clap back in a way that's not so nice. But then I remember, you know, this is an opportunity to educate. And I'm not going to change any minds or hearts if I react with the same negative energy. So I'll just take those as an opportunity to educate, to share my perspective and why I think it's important and the value. And that's all I can do. And always from a place of love. Oh, well, I am enjoying watching all of your TikToks. And of course, I want people to be able to find you and keep up with you. You're doing an incredible job of educating people. So where can they connect with you and keep up with you? I'm on TikTok and all social media platforms at Dalarumik. That's my Inuit name, T-A-A-L-R-U-M-I-Q. Okay, incredible. Uh, we're going to put the link for that uh, in the podcast liner notes when this goes live there. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Looking at me, I can see her eyes looking from the page of a magazine. She makes me feel like I could be a tower. Do you ever feel that in order to fit in or to be accepted, you need to curate your actions, words, or even your personality? There is no doubt we all yearn to belong, but sometimes the cost seems to be losing a piece of who we truly are. But what if I told you that it doesn't have to be this way? My next guest grew up as a child of working-class immigrants facing her share of racist bullying and cultural confusion. Despite these challenges, she rose to become a successful lawyer and business leader. Her journey wasn't easy, but it was transformative. Through trials and tribulations, she found her voice and now empowers others to embrace their authentic selves and find true belonging in her new book, We've Got This, Unlocking the Beauty of Belonging. Ritu Basin joins me now to discuss. Welcome back to What She Said, Ritu. Thank you so much for having me back, Candice. It's great to see you. So tell me about the inspiration behind your new book, We've Got This, and what readers can expect from it. I was inspired to write We've Got This because of my own journey to find belonging. As you already mentioned in the introduction, and for those of you who follow me online, you'll know for decades, I've struggled to be who I am and to experience belonging because of the childhood bullying 
because of experiencing a lot of cultural confusion and having a lot of negative messaging coming my way about who I am. And I struggled and I struggled. But then through the power of healing, my life changed. And I finally now feel beautiful about who I am, both inside and out. And I wanted to share what I have learned about how we can stand in our power and claim belonging. And that's what ultimately inspired me to write, We've Got This. And for anyone out there who's joining us who has struggled to belong, struggled to feel honored and accepted for who they are, who now wants to create a life that's rooted in belonging, my new book is for you. And we've got this. You talk about the pressure that we are all under to mask who we are. Can you delve into how this masking affects individuals and communities? So oftentimes what happens is that we as children, teenagers, and as adults have constant negative messaging, disapproving messaging coming our way from our elders, our peers, our colleagues, our beloveds. And when we feel those negative messages, those judgments, that bias coming our way, for many of us, it causes us to put on a performing self-mask. That's what I call it. When I say performing, I don't mean like high performance. I mean like the pressure to act, act out who you are as opposed to be who you are. So this curated image. And this mask, the, the, it, it's helpful in that it shields us, or so we believe, from bias and judgment. But the problem is that in constantly wearing a mask, oftentimes we lose sense of who we are. And that's what happened to me. Because I had created so many masks that I was using to, first of all, shield from judgment, but then second of all, to hide my pain, if you had asked me in my mid-30s, Ritu, who are you? Who's your authentic self? I wouldn't have been able to answer that question. And in fact, I kick off my book, We've Got This with the Story, about how I was, I realized, wow, I don't even know who I am anymore. We become lost. But again, it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to live like this forever. In your book, you talk about standing in your power. What does this mean to you? And how can individuals cultivate and harness their own personal power? So first of all, let me just share that there's a difference between personal power and social power. And I talk a lot about this in the book. So social power is the influence, the um, social capital that we garner from external uh, forces. In other words, people give us social power based on our title, our profession, our education, our gender identity, our class, our race, ethnoculture. It's socially constructed. It's given to us by others. Social power is important for many reasons, but unfortunately, it's fleeting. It it is really based on dominance of other domination of others, and so it's not fulfilling as it relates to joy in life. So when I say stand in your power, I'm talking about standing in your personal power. Personal power is the strength that we hold within that inspires us to be who we are, speak the way we want to speak, dress the way we want to dress, draw boundaries, reveal more of our authenticity, to speak when we experience disrespect, to act as an ally and act as an upstander. And so when I'm it, it enables us to feel peace inside of ourselves. So when I say stand in your power, I'm talking about standing in your personal power, that force that lives within us, that gives us the strength 
to reveal our authenticity, to use our voices and our behaviors to create and claim our joy. That's what I mean. So with this book then, what do you ultimately hope people walk away with? I hope that people walk away with concrete, practical tools on how do you actually create a life that you love, rooted in being who you are, claiming your belonging, because the book is very much meant to be an action plan or a guidebook on how you make this happen. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I deeply hope for the book is that it will inspire you to believe in yourself, to create more moments and experiences of heightened joy for yourself and for others, and finally, truly to your core, have the ability to be your authentic self as much as possible. And I can tell you, for me, this has been life-changing, this experience of claiming belonging. And I know that you all can have the same experience. And in fact, that's why I called the book, We've Got This. Like I've got this because I know this because I'm doing it. I know you've got this, but collectively, we've got this. Incredible. I want people to be obviously able to find the book and keep up with you. So where's the best place to do all that? So first of all, you can connect in with me on LinkedIn or Instagram in particular, Rithu, R-I-T-U underscore Basin, B-H-A-S-I-N. You can check out my empowerment site at RithuBasin.com. And my book is available for sale anywhere online where you would normally buy a book. And so please do pick up a copy. Okay, incredible. We're going to put all of those links uh, in the liner notes when this goes out on podcast. And Rithu, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, as always, Candice, it's a pleasure to be here. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. My final guest today is an absolute powerhouse and a testament to the adage that life can continue to get better with age. She started her TikTok journey at the age of 69 with a simple goal of promoting her book. Little did she know she would soon become a sensation with over 400,000 followers. From life stories, humor, wigs, and even apple pies, she does it all and has been inspiring many with her positivity and zeal for life. So today I welcome the vibrant and wonderful Vivian Boyko, also known as a fabulous TikTok grandma to the show. Vivian, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was a lovely introduction. You're a delight. I, I scroll through TikTok all the time and I came across you. So can you tell me how you stumbled across TikTok and what motivated you motivated you to start creating content there? Okay. Uh, when I first uh, retired, when I retired, I uh, realized that I needed to have something uh, to keep me busy. And I decided to do a lot of different things. And I wrote a book. And as a self-published author, uh, it took me quite a bit of time, almost three years, because I am a grandma as well. But I finished the book. 
And I got it to where I wanted it, had it edited, and then I had to try to sell it, get it in front of people. And I started paying for advertising. I was taking online advertising courses. And as much money as I put out, it was working. People were reading my book. I always, um, I never ended up in the red. I always ended up making money on my books. But when I saw my first TikTok, I was, um, yeah, flabbergasted. <laughs> I, I looked at it and went, this is free and it's a video. And what doesn't sell something better uh, than a video? I could do a book trailer. It got me all excited. And so that was in um, 2021, actually April of 2021. And I thought, well, I'll, what niche was I going to do? I looked at all the different ones and and I thought, well, I'll start creating um, little skits because I knew I would enjoy doing that. And I thought if I could gather a community and they liked me, uh, maybe they'd like my book. So that's how it all started. And uh, yeah, I, I never looked back. I've been on TikTok ever since. So there's no doubt you've you've gained huge success there with over 400,000 followers. So tell me about your book, though, Once Upon a Groovy Time. What can readers expect from it? Once Upon a Groovy Time is the story about a time-traveling grandmother. And she goes back to her hometown in 1964 because she has uh, her life's biggest regret. And she wants to go back and she wants to try to fix things. And she doesn't go alone. She has two granddaughters, age 14 and five, and they don't want to let grandma go alone because there is, uh, they don't know why she's really going back there and they think she might want to stay. <laughs> and then they won't be born because she has to meet their grandpa. So they go back with, in time with her, uh, into the, the cafe where she used to listen to Elvis and, uh, yeah, and they learn to jive and do the mashed potato. So it's lighthearted, but there is a couple of serious elements in it. Uh, so a lot of my readers are age, um, you know, 40 and up, uh, and also 12 and up. I wouldn't say below 12, I, the age of 12, but there is a couple of serious elements in it, but mostly it's lighthearted. It's traveling back in time and it's just fun. I, I just love the story. I, you know, it was my baby. <laughs> I love, I love the premise of it. It sounds like it would actually be a great movie. So you should start working on that script. Well, I uh, video. So, too. <laughs> <laughs> so you champion the idea that aging can be a positive experience. So can you elaborate on how embracing this time of your life could lead to self-discovery and personal fulfillment? Uh, at this time of my life, I'm going to be 70 in September. I have more time. I uh, obviously, I mean, I, by this time, most of us as seniors have our finances in order and uh, we can just have a little bit more time to relax, enjoy things, learn new things. I mean, I've been learning so many things online. Uh, when I retired, of course, I had this, oh my gosh, what am I going to do feeling? And I took uh, piano lessons. I took them online as well as I had a lady uh, that I went to for lessons. And I also learned uh, watercolor painting online, all online. And I enjoy every day. I get up every day and I look forward to what's the next thing I'm going to do. And TikTok, of course, I have to fit that in there somewhere too. Uh, but I'm also a grandma. So I spend a lot of time uh, with my grandchildren and uh yeah, we still have a couple of preschoolers that we, uh, my husband and I, tag team 
and we take them one day a week. And we have teenagers that come on the weekends. So yeah, I'm busy. I fit everything in, but I'm happy because I'm busy. What has been the most surprising or unexpected thing you've learned or experienced through TikTok? I have learned that, uh, well, I started out to sell my books through TikTok, and I found out it it was a lot bigger than selling my book. The book became in the background. I discovered a community of people all over the world, and the comments that I get and the love and support I get, I don't seem to get any haters or anything like that. I have people saying, can I call you grandma or uh, really, really nice comments. And that keeps me going and connecting with them. Grandma's A grandma in Ireland and uh, one in Sri Lanka and Egypt. <laughs> and I found out that um, we have a lot more in common uh, then we don't. We have cultural differences, but really as mothers and grandmas, we all want the same thing. Uh, we want to have a happy life and, and peaceful uh, existence. And, and, uh, yeah, for, yeah, it's, it's uh, been really good. Uh, one of my commenters, um, she, uh, told me, came on one day and she said, I need to tell you that I'm undergoing chemotherapy. I'm bedridden and I'm sitting here laughing at your videos. Your videos are helping me get through. So every day she checks in to see what I've posted. And there you go. Way bigger than selling my book, you know. Absolutely. Delightful. I, I want people to be able to get your book, obvious. I want that book, Vivian. And um, I want people to be able to follow you on TikTok. So what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, you can buy my book uh, on Amazon. And uh, it's Once Upon a Groovy Time. My author name is Vivian Allen Boyko. And I'm also on um, TikTok. I'm at Justagram. Justagram. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, we're going to put all those links uh, when this goes out on podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today, Vivian. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.